0: I'm Dave Whitaker, and this is Vinyl Snob.
1: A lot of stuff walks in the front door. Uh, We get house calls. Uh, I think a lot of people want to trade in their old records to buy new records.
0: That's Ken Kabbalah, a buyer at Amoeba Records. In this episode, we look at how previously owned vinyl makes it into the used bin. All right, well, I've got a a few records here in front of me. Let's look at them and sort of uh, appraise how I would buy them. That's Henry Wimmer of Open Mind Music, who takes a look at a stack of records we brought in to trade, and he tells us what they're worth and how he comes up with that dollar figure. That's all coming up in this episode. We received an email recently from a listener who wanted to know what goes into placing a value on previously owned vinyl, whether you're selling it outright or trading it in. To be honest, as a collector who holds on to every piece of vinyl that comes my way, I have no idea. So, decided to find out and headed to one of the West Coast's biggest used record store chains, Amoeba Records. We spoke with one of their buyers at the Berkeley store.
1: A lot of stuff walks in the front door, Uh, we get house calls, Uh, I think a lot of people want to trade in their old records to buy new records. That's Ken Kabbalah,
0: a buyer at Amoeba who spent the last 30 years in the used record business.
1: Sometimes people are like, oh, these are the records I bought as a kid. I'm so embarrassed. And it's like, don't worry about it. We, we weren't all born with encyclopedic knowledge of music. You know, I came from a suburban small town that luckily had a couple cool record stores. So we learned about the New York Dolls and the Stooges and the Ramones and everything Some people are just looking to get rid of their things, and I think we have a good reputation being fair with people. Everyone has the right to go wherever they want, and there will be people who shop around a little bit. But I think one of the benefits of people who like to trade things is because we have a lot of things to offer them for their trades. Multiple formats, we have t-shirts, we have posters, we have turntables. You can buy a gift certificate with a trade slip. So there's a fair amount of customer loyalty. I think that's what I'll say.
0: Ken admits that while they see many different genres of used records, one in particular is the bread and butter of most stores.
1: I'd say rock is the most popular genre in almost any record store, so I think we probably see the most rock records. But, you know, there's certainly a bit of everything. It it all depends on the age of the person selling the records. A lot of older people have a lot of uh, pop vocal, easy listening, show tunes, soundtracks. You know, a lot of times it's collections belonging to deceased people and their families are disposing of them. And then other times it's just people who want to trade in last year's records for this year's records.
0: And if the collection is sizable, the store will come to you.
1: We do house calls regularly, like I think I have four in the next two weeks, and those are mostly local, but I mean, I was just out of the state on a buy, been across the country a few times, and it it depends on the size of the collection and how promising the collection is for us to go out. It has to be, you know, worth the manpower, the hours, the travel, the shipping. You know, we're always soliciting for good records, so sometimes we have to go out there and get them we have collection forms on our website so a lot of people do it online they'll just contact us we'll discuss it and decide who's going to go look at them Um, we get phone calls from all over the country all the time i'm not always certain that the person who's calling us knows where we're located our name pops up and they say hey i have records to sell and i'm in georgia And sometimes it's 10 records. And needless to say, we're not going to travel to Georgia for 10 records. If it were 10,000 records and it sounded great and uh, the people seemed reasonable, we would absolutely be there in a heartbeat
0: had to ask Ken if he ever makes snap judgments based on the condition of the records before he ever digs into the box.
1: It does matter, obviously, the appearance of the record, the appearance of the cover. You don't want moldy, water-damaged records, but I mean, still, every box that comes in, you look at every record because you never know what's going to be the second-to-last record in the box. There are sometimes hidden gems in with a bunch of totally useless records. You just never know where they've been before they walk through the door. So you do your due diligence and uh, dig through them all and hope there's some buried treasure in there. I mean, I remember one time a bunch of pretty lousy records came in and there were like chicken bones and textile dust and like the records were filthy. And there was a copy of Skip Spence Ore, you know, buried in amongst... This stuff, so you just never, never know.
0: With so much new vinyl being issued, and retail and online outlets selling both new and used, are any records going up in value?
1: Lately, some records have skyrocketed. I think a lot more people are looking for records nowadays, so what was a fairly common record even 10 or 15, 20 years ago might be a $50 record now, or if it was a $50 record, then it might be a $500 record now because there's more competition, more people seeking out The records, you know, in the late 80s, when CDs were taking over and people were buying into that technology, a lot of people were just divesting themselves of their records. And so it's kind of come full circle now. I mean, there are still those people. And now there are a bunch of new people buying and starting record collections, you know, with Discogs and eBay. There's a lot of competition to get those records nowadays. Uh, So people will pay more and it can drive the price up. But it's very cyclical. There are records that 10 years ago were very popular, and now they're not popular again. So, you you know, there are no hard, fast rules with any of this. It's all today. I do think the Blue Note record thing has kind of gone through the roof in the last few years. Things that used to be still collectible and expensive have just gone through the roof. Like Hank Mobley's album, Blue Note 1568, it has gone for up to, I think, $11,000 recently because they only made apparently 500 copies of the first pressing of it and so that's the rarest Blue Note album. Sonny Clark Cool Strutton has been going for thousands of dollars lately and you know, and it's a record that you can buy new for $20, but people want that original copy. And that's a whole different ball game. You know, some people just want to hear music. Some people want the genuine original artifact.
0: And what about our old question? Brick and mortar stores versus surf and click?
1: I agree with you. There are record stores that seem to be like a Discogs factory outlet, that their prices are exactly that. I mean, I... I think you know the word fair is is the word I use you know just try to be fair you know you want to make people come back too so maybe if they do get a little good deal here and there it's going to keep them coming back and they're not going to just sit at home and buy records on their computer as per your point of checking the condition that is one of the greatest benefits of going into a record store is you hold the item in your hand and you get to see the condition with your own eyes and you make your own judgments and that is irreplaceable, you know. Even someone with 100% feedback on eBay may just offer a really liberal return policy. And, you know, they'll always say, email me first before you leave negative feedback and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, like I said, here, if you come in, you know, you may buy a record that is way out of your price range just because you're like, this is the nicest copy I'm ever going to see. And I'm going to buy it because if I leave it here, it might not be here tomorrow.
0: That's Ken Kabbalah a buyer with Amoeba Records. We spoke with him at the store in Berkeley, California. While chatting with Ken at Amoeba after the interview, another vinyl snob guest name came up, Ron McMaster. Ken had seen Ron's name as mastering engineer on all the Blue Note LP reissues and asked if we'd ever heard the band recordings Ron and his group Public Nuisance did back in the late 60s. I knew Ron had been a drummer but never heard any of his band recordings. Ken walked us over to the bins and pulled out a sealed LP of the band's Gotta Survive. We're recording this episode in August 2018, and about a month ago, after decades at the cutting lathe, Ron McMaster retired from Capitol Records. I'd planned to give him a shout-out to say congratulations on his retirement, but now with the band's record in hand, I thought let's just get him on the phone and see how he's doing. Hey, Ron, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you, David. It's great to be back.
0: So how's retirement?
2: Uh, It's good, actually. It's agreeing with me very well. I miss my friends and my colleagues, but uh, the daily grind, it's nice to have a little more time to myself.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the band Public Nuisance. Now, This was a band that you had started in Sacramento in the mid-60s?
2: Yes. I met uh, David Houston when I was in junior high school, and we started a surf band called the Jaguars and that evolved into the band called The Public Nuisance. We would play Northern California and lots of live shows of both bands.
0: And how did the recordings come about?
2: The recordings came about because our manager knew an engineer in Los Angeles named Eric Wangberg, who was connected with Terry Melcher at CBS Records. He played him some of our demo tapes. He really liked it. They gave us a budget to cut a record. We went down to Los Angeles and we had uh, about 12 songs. Then when it was time for release, There were some issues that came up, and everything got dropped. And so it never really came out officially on CBS uh, Equinox Records. I had, fortunately, a copy of the master tapes. Years later, there was a gentleman in Sacramento that heard some of our stuff, and he really liked it, and he goes, Hey, do you guys have some more music? We said, Yeah, we do. We've got a whole album. And so he goes, Man, I'd like to put that out. So we put that out. We sold 1,500, and so then when we had another 1,500 pressed up and we sold those, about this time, Jack White somehow got a hold of our CD and he liked it, and they started covering some of our songs. One of our fans actually taped it on the phone one time, and he sent it to us. He goes, hey, listen to this, you know, and... We're going, wow, that's our song and Jackson cover. (laughs) Long story short, Third Man Records gave our little label, Frantic, a call and said, hey, are you going to do any more with this album? And they said, no, uh, we don't really have the money to do any more. And they said, well, we'd like to sign these guys. So they signed us, Third Man Records, which we're still on, and they put the record out. That's what I would always tell my uh, younger clients at Capitol. I I would say never give up, because if I'm in my 60s and I can sign a record contract for something I did when I was 19 years old, you just keep forging ahead.
0: Ron, congratulations again. 35 years behind the cutting lay of the Capitol Records. Enjoy your retirement, and uh, keep in touch. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for the call. It's really been great being on the show again, David.
0: After spending the morning at Amoeba Records talking with Ken about the ins and outs of buying used records we decided to head over to a small independent store in nearby Oakland. My folks had records, so when I was a little kid,
3: I was listening to uh, Herb Alpert and Benny Goodman and Duke Ellington. But then through Sesame Street, I think I discovered the Beatles. I think through uh, Yellow Submarine was on a Sesame Street thing, and that that opened a whole world. The Beatles were my first love, and Sgt. Pepper was the first record I bought as a kid. That's Henry Wimmer, owner and curator of Open Mind Music. I'm always happy when customers bring in records for me to appraise, and sometimes somebody will stop by and ask me to do a house call, and I'll go through uh, somebody's garage where there are boxes that haven't been looked at for a while, or somebody's moving and they want to bring in a box. Sometimes it's five records, sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 5,000. I go everywhere for records. Whenever I travel, I look for records, and I'm I'm willing to uh, rent a truck and drive out to procure a collection.
0: After 30 years running small, used record stores, Henry still relies on his own experience when appraising collections, but admits that the online presence and pricing structure is something he has to be aware of. Back in the day, someone like me would, would price
3: based on experience, based on wh- how many copies I've seen, and through the years, I'd price a record at $8, and if it sold that day, then maybe the next time I got it, I might price it at 10 or 12 and see how quickly it sells based on that, and a, more of an organic understanding of the marketplace. But now online, you can do that research uh, various ways, and Discogs is a good tool, and um, I think there's um, sometimes a laziness where somebody just goes by a perceived book value of something and a record is only as valuable as what someone's willing to pay for it. Um, You know, certain records that are from the 50s or 60s, if they haven't seen repressings and they're good records and maybe they were overlooked at the time, then inherently due to supply and demand, they're going to increase in value. Whereas something that was very popular may still be popular, but because there are plenty in the marketplace, they're not as valuable uh, price-wise. I remember maybe 20 years ago, I was looking through a lady's uh, boxes of records at, at her house, and there were Seals and Crofts and Barbara Streisand, Dan Fogelberg, just stuff you see everywhere in every bargain bin. And then there was a Paragon's Meet the Jester's record, original 50s record. And the spine was a little split, but the record was in great shape. And I don't know how that one <laughs> made it into that collection. You know, sometimes there's a gift or somebody inherits a record from a, you know older sibling or a parent or an uncle, what have you. You know, a younger cat may get classical records from their grandfather or their dad and may not dig classical, but may want to trade it in for some hip hop. That works out well. That gets them back into circulation, and that's good for everybody.
0: We brought a few records along with us and asked Henry to take a look and see what they'd be worth as a trade-in. If you'd like to follow along, there are pictures of all the albums on the Episode 7 page at VinylSnob.com. All right, well, I've got a a few records here
3: in front of me. Let's look at them and sort of uh, appraise how I would buy them. And I'm looking at a Tangerine Dream Rubicon that's a cutout. So it has a slight cut, which means that they made too many for the marketplace. So the industry uh, cut them when they were returned so they couldn't be sold as new again but it's fairly good gatefold. It's got some creases in the cover, which devalue it slightly. A little bit of record ring on the back, which is the ghost image of the record, which happens when records are tight together on a shelf. Then I slide out the record, which looks very nice. It's a 1975 Virgin Press Really nice progressive music for folks who dig that sort of thing. And, yeah, in this shape, it's worth a couple of dollars. There's not a huge call for Tangerine Dream, but I always love to have good progressive stuff. Now the next one here, Mother Jugs and Speed. Uh, What a triumvirate in the movie. Bill Cosby, Raquel Welch, and Harvey Keitel. Not a fantastic record. It's uh, like a lot of soundtracks. The music's available elsewhere. But this is really... Someone's going to buy this for the cover, More likely than anything, it does have the Brothers Johnson get the funk out my face, which is a fantastic track that's readily available. But yeah, on the back cover, the three principal actors are all on top of an ambulance. You know, Raquel, of course, has the open front a little bit to accentuate that. And then there's a cartoony cover of the same sort of idea, uh, which references back to like the Peter Bagg covers of, of drag racing and so forth with this ambulance. The front wheels are coming off the pavement because it's burning rubber, folks. And Bill Cosby has his hand like a some sort of skeletor on the stick shift. Yeah, I guess that's a stick shift. Um, okay, moving on. That's you know a dollar record, maybe. Not, not a fantastic record. More to my liking is this Buck Owens and the Buckaroos record. Classic mid-60s Buck Owens, Bakersfield Country uh, Carnegie Hall Concert. You know, live records are a little dodgy. They're not, you know, they, they're fun for collectors, but sonically they're not as cool uh, in general as the, um, you know, the studio records. But it's a Rainbow Capital, so you know it's an original. Again, it's in really, really nice shape. In this case, actually, the cover and the vinyl are in very, very good shape. So I would probably offer a customer somewhere in the range of three to seven dollars uh, for it you know i'd look a little more carefully at it i see some engraving in the corner somebody wrote the uh date uh, march 24th 1967 was apparently when this person bought it and that's kind of engraved on it so anyway you see, the more you look at a record the more flaws you can see sometimes uh moving on the best of crow 1972 on the Amaret label Crow with Dave Wagner of lead vocals, Dick Wiggand on lead guitar, Larry Wiggand, his brother on bass, Denny Craswell drums, Kink Middlemist on organ. What a name, Kink Middlemist. Uh he also had a career in the porn industry, I believe. Um yeah, it's cool. A little record ring. Probably in the neighborhood of a three to five dollar record as far as what I would pay out. For it, and uh, of course, in the record industry, there's going to be a profit mo- uh, margin and motive, so uh, you know I would you know mark it up accordingly. Uh, moving on, one of my favorite bands and a, just a fantastic record, Meaty Beady Big and Bouncy by the Who. Uh, it's original uh, gatefold, uh, Kit Lambert and Shel Tammy production. There's a great documentary on those guys; just fantastic. This came out in '71. Let's look at the record. Got the original inner sleeve, which is sort of a uh, one of those sleeves that promotes other records on the label. Uh, not as essential, not as integral as the inner sleeve that would have the lyrics or the art of the record itself. But still, a collector will enjoy having the you know the original hype um, sleeve. But it's it's an original Decca. I can tell that it's in gorgeous condition. Uh, it's it's the Decca with the rainbow uh, palette and uh, stereophonic curved on top, so you know it's stereo, and this, um, this, re- this record was reissued many times, and later as a non-gatefold, so the gatefold's worth more. As an original, this is in fantastic shape. I would probably offer more than $10 on this and price it accordingly, because there's no damage to the seams, uh, there's no writing on it, there's no visible bending on the corners, a very faint record ring on the back. But that's to be expected from a record that's almost 50 years old. So, yeah, that's a gem. Up next, Steve Winwood's second band, Traffic, the Mr. Fantasy record. And the original had uh, the words, Heaven is in Your Mind, I believe, a different title. So, this is the second state of it. There's a slight bit of damage on the spine, which devalues it a little bit, but all in all, it's a beautiful copy. Jim Capaldi, Chris Wood, and Steve Winwood clearly stoned on the back. Uh, Jim Capaldi holding a, uh, a stick as a cane uh, Steve Winwood miming the same pose without a cane And then Chris Wood uh, holding some shrubbery uh, Yes, shrubbery And Dealer is one of the songs So, you know, you can connect the dots uh, Produced by Jimmy Miller, who did great work with the Stones Eddie Kramer, engineering, fantastic engineer Steve Winwood with the arrangements This is a great, great record um, now looking at the vinyl, I see some, some tiny little marks that I can feel with my nail. That's going to devalue it quite a bit. Um, there are other stray marks that really aren't as problematic, but yeah, and looking at the other side, there are some other marks. So though the cover is beautiful, this particular piece of vinyl is flawed, and somebody named Lee owned it and wrote their name on it. So yeah, that devalues it a bit. So it's a second state, still really great for a collector who who you know has the music, but wants a really clean cover. The the cover itself has no record ring, and as I mentioned, there's a little bit of damage on the spine, but um, really beautiful picture of the three of them: Capaldi, Wood, and and uh, Winwood. Just a really great record. So still worth in this shape, probably three to five bucks. Um, Closing out with a Yes Classic, the Yes Album, another gatefold. Uh, they pressed a lot of this one, so it's very readily available, but this particular edition is completely clean. You know, this is a VG+. plus. I would hesitate from saying near mint because it has been used, and there's some flex on the spine, but no seam splitting, very minor corner dingage, which you're going to get just from owning a record over time, but... Um, Yeah, the record's in really good shape, vibrant copy, and and this is certainly worth a a, a few bucks as well. Uh, Though it's very common, you know, most Yes fans already have the Yes records, uh, it's still something I would purchase and and stock. Uh, I've seen All Good People, Yours is No Disgrace, nearly 10 minutes of Yes, some would say Indulgence, but uh, others would would love it to death, so whatever uh, floats your boat, you know, that's the thing about music, we don't all have to like the same records.
0: But there's something for everybody at Open Mind Music. Henry Wimmer of Open Mind Music in Oakland, California. And that's our program. Vinyl Snob is produced at the studios of Post Audio in Sacramento, California. If you have a comment or a question about vinyl records or stereo equipment you'd like us to look into, drop me a note, dave at vinylsnob.com. I'm Dave Whitaker. Thanks for listening.